Good morning. We are very happy that uh, you are here. We're thankful that we can gather together in this manner and uh, join our voices, join our hearts, and worship the God who is due all the praise that we can give Him. God has, God has indeed blessed us with a beautiful day after a dreary, rainy weekend, and we are thankful for the warmer temperatures and the uh, sunshine outside, but most especially we're glad that we have the privilege uh, of being able to come together in this way and worship our God and lift up the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to begin by talking about death. And I know that that's an unpleasant topic. And maybe you think, you know what, Joseph, I didn't stand in front of the ironing board for an hour ironing all my family's clothes to hear a glum talk about death. I didn't go pick out a new Easter dress. I didn't pull out the most beautiful pastel clothes from my closet and put them on to hear a depressing sermon about death. And if you're thinking that, then I just want to say to you, hang with me. Because listen, I'm a good news preacher. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And so I delight, and it is my responsibility to share Good news. So anytime I have to share bad news, just know that it will always be followed with good news. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of breaking news, and I am tired of the constant 24-7 cable news cycle. I need to hear some good news from God. What about you? How about an amen if you, if you hear me, if you feel me? I'm tired of breaking news. I need some good news, but first, the bad news. And I'll tell you something else. When you start with the bad news, you appreciate the good news more. So let's talk about some bad news. The bad news regarding death. And specifically this morning, I want to talk about the story of someone who died. And it was a lady, uh, it's a lady that we read about in the pages of Scripture in the book of Acts. Chapter 9. And if you have a Bible, I would invite you to go there with me. And I will have some of the text up here on the screen. The book of Acts follows the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life and His ministry, His death and His resurrection, and His ascension into heaven. And the book of Acts picks up where the Gospels leave off. The book of Acts is about how the Gospel is spread and how the, how the church expands in the absence of Jesus. Well, I shouldn't say in the absence of Jesus because the presence of Jesus is very much with the earliest disciples and the apostles as they preached the good news. It's just that Jesus was no longer around in the flesh. And so the book of Acts, the longer title, the Acts of the Apostles, we might call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's all about how the Holy Spirit empowered the earliest followers of Jesus Christ to preach the good news that went all over the known world at this time. And in Acts chapter 9, we read about a disciple. Well, I'll just read, starting in verse 36. There was in Joppa, this was a coastal town on the Mediterranean Sea, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Now, when I was growing up, I always felt a little sorry for this lady because she has this name, Dorcas, you know? And... Her name, Tabitha, that's her Aramaic name, but her Greek 
name. The Greek translation is Dorcas. So I can just hear Tabitha saying, please don't call me by my Greek name. My Aramaic name will do. Uh, You know, I don't want to think about how she might have been bullied in school, poor thing. So we will help her to avoid any further embarrassment by just calling her Tabitha, okay? Because Dorcas is just sort of an unfortunate name. So Tabitha is a disciple of Jesus, a believer, an early Christian, part of the church here in this coastal town called Joppa. And we read also that she was full of good works and acts of charity, and so she had allowed the gospel to transform her life. And she was well regarded in the church and in the community. She was an outstanding disciple. I mean, she didn't just talk the talk, she walked the walk. She lived it out. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in verse 37 we read this, And in those days, she became ill, quite suddenly, and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So we get a brief glimpse of this devoted disciple named Tabitha, beloved by her church, um, an impressive lady. I mean, well thought of by her community, full of good works and acts of charity, and sadly, tragically, she dies. And so this is a difficult season in the life of this church, because they've lost who was probably a pillar of this early congregation, this great lady, this devoted disciple named Tabitha. She became ill and she died. Now it seems to me that we have a strange relationship with this thing that we call death. I've been watching on Netflix this documentary series called Our Planet. And, you know, it just takes a tour all over our globe. And, and the, um, the video footage that they were able to get of various animals and plant life all over our planet, it truly is spectacular. I would recommend watching it. But there was one scene that, that was nearly breathtaking in the first episode of a pack of wildebeests in Africa traveling off the grasslands and into this forest and they begin to be hunted by these, these wild dogs. And the chase scene is, boy, it, it, it is stunning. It shows some of the, the, the calves of the pack. And if the calves stay within the herd, they are protected by the, the grown-ups, and especially their mothers. But if they get outside the herd, they are at risk of being, of being prey of the dogs. And so... The chase scene that they were able to film is, is amazing. And you see this calf who is protected by his mother, but who makes a run for it to the pack up ahead, and he's being tracked by this dog, and he just narrowly escapes the jaws of this hunting dog. And as I was watching this, I thought, these animals each and every day live under the constant threat of death. I mean, death is lurking around every corner. Every day is a fight to stay alive. And I thought, you know, I can't really relate to that. Because I feel somewhat safe from death. I feel insulated from it. I don't feel like every day is a fight for survival like these wildebeests. And I had a similar experience when I read some of the Psalms. Many of us are reading through the Bible in the year. 
And when the psalmist David or some other psalm talks about his enemies and how the enemies surrounding him threaten his very life, let me give you a couple examples. The first from the third psalm, the first couple verses, when David says, O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. David says, as if David is saying, death seems to be closing in around me. And then in chapter 7, or Psalm 7 rather, the first couple verses, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. What David is saying in these Psalms and elsewhere is, God, if you don't look out for me, if you don't protect me, then I'm going to be ripped apart by my enemies. I need your protection every hour of every day because death seems to be lurking around every corner. And every day my life is at risk. And I think to myself, you know, I I don't know what that's like. I can't relate. And maybe you feel that way too. Until... A loved one, somebody that you know, is diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And there's no treatment available. Chemotherapy or radiation is not an option. Surgery is off the table. And you bring that loved one home, and you just try to keep that loved one comfortable. We don't think that we are under a constant threat of death until a young person full of life, the future laid out before them, is tragically killed in a car accident. We think that we are insulated. We think that we are shielded. But we are not. We are not. And we try to run from death. We try to put it off. How many commercials just this past week have you seen about skin products that they claim are age-defying or even age-reversing, you know, maybe that will work for a little while. Maybe that will help you look younger for a little while. But there's no escaping what's coming. And then some of us, you know, some people think plastic surgery is the option. And I'll have all of these procedures and they will make me look younger. But in fact, they just make people look weirder. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And their eyes are bugged out. And their lips are big and they don't, you know, they can't close their eyes and they got a permanent smile on their face. We think that's going to work. We think that's going to delay death. We think we're going to escape death. And then I think about all the safety procedures. You know, we are a safety obsessed culture. And this was brought to my attention when we went down to Cusco, Peru on our mission trip. And we would drive around in these taxi cabs and it was like bumper cars on the street. I mean, every time you got into these, one of these cabs your life flashed before your eyes and you thought lord uh you know this is my time i mean it's i I, i'm ready to go i mean it's this is the end of my life and then we would see you know young we saw a couple on a moped a man and then a woman behind him they both had helmets on but the woman was holding a young boy and he was just wearing a little bucket hat and then in one of the cabs that we saw we saw a lady in the front seat And she had a child strapped to her back. And I thought, my goodness, I mean, 
all of the regulations and the codes being broken down here according to United States standards. And of course, it's not bad to have safety procedures and protocols, but that hasn't brought the ultimate death rate down, which is, has stayed at a staggering 100%. We can't delay it forever. We can't run from it. The truth is, no matter how much concealing we do, no matter how many nips and tucks, and no matter how much protection we place around us, our outer self is wasting away, according to Paul. And we often sentimentalize death, don't we? We try to soften its blow. We say things about people who have died to make us feel a little bit better. Like, well, he's got his wings now. Or, she'll be my guardian angel. And a lot of these little things that we say, some of them are rooted in biblical truth, but some of them are just cultural ideas that we've sort of adopted in order to make us feel a little bit better about the cruel reality of death. We, we try to make death a little more pleasant. We try to blunt its impact, but we can't. Listen, the Bible doesn't mince words when it comes to death. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, when this good, devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, this precious lady beloved by her church named Tabitha, it simply says she became ill and she died And look with me in Acts chapter 9, verses 38 and 39. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, Lydda, a city just a few miles down the road, the disciples heard that Peter was there. Peter, one of the twelve. One of the twelve original apostles of Jesus. They heard he was there. They sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing their tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So they bring Peter up there. Peter, who was one of the apostles. Peter, who had an extra helping of the Holy Spirit. They want him to come. And he walks into a funeral scene. And it is a scene of sorrow and grief and mourning. And people are mourning because death is cruel. People are mourning because they weren't ready for Tabitha to go. And often when we say things about loved ones like, you know, I really wish so-and-so was still here, but I I shouldn't wish that, should I? I, I'm sorry. And we're apologetic about it. Listen, we shouldn't be apologetic about it. Death is cruel. And mourning is okay. And it's okay to wish that your loved ones were still here because death was not part of of God's original design. And the separation that death creates ought to cause us to grieve and to mourn. And so it's not a selfish thing to say, I wish that person was still here. You shouldn't apologize for it. It's totally natural because we know deep in our bones that this is not the way it's supposed to be. That death is not supposed to have a stranglehold on us like it does. I wish they were still here. That's not a selfish statement. You know, this week we we watched in horror as this beautiful cathedral in Paris, France, nearly burned down. And thankfully, there, were, there was a lot that was salvaged and a lot of the relics. But it was a sad scene, was it not? To see the flames shooting out of this historic structure that has seen 900 years of human history. And to think about all, all of the priceless artifacts that might have been destroyed. And our grief is magnitude is magnified you know, 
by leaps and bounds when it is a precious human creation of God that we lose. A life. A life intricately woven together and a life that is unique in God's eyes, precious in His sight. We grieve that much more when life is lost. Listen, death is an unwelcome intruder in God's good creation. It is an enemy of the Almighty. It is a product of sin. Death is ugly. And we can't escape its ugliness. To me, a song that captures the sorrow, the anguish of death is the old American folk song, O Death. And especially the version of the song by the late bluegrass legend Ralph Stanley. Ralph Stanley won a Grammy for his rendition of the song, which appeared in the movie, O Brother, Where Art Thou? And several had auditioned to sing the song on the soundtrack, but when Ralph Stanley showed up, he said to the producer, let me sing it the way I want to sing it. And he laid his banjo down, and he began singing a cappella. And he sang, oh death, oh death, won't you spare me over till another year? My mother came to my bed, placed a cold towel upon my head. My head is warm, my feet are cold, death is a moving upon my soul. Oh death, how you're treating me, you closed my eyes so I can't see. Well, you're hurting my body, you make me cold, you run my life right out of my soul. Oh death, oh death, won't you spare me over to another year? And after a few stanzas, the producer stopped Ralph Stanley and said, that's it. This is the version that we need to use in the movie. And what we have is a haunting recording of this frail old man's quavering voice singing about the cruel nature of death. And when death visits us, we say, oh, death, why me? Why us? Why the intense pain? Why the unbearable loss? It's depressing. It's depressing to think about all these things, I know. But all of these things that we've said are true. These are the facts. And until we get these facts down about the ugliness of death, we can't fully appreciate God's answer to death. Yes, it's true. Everything we've said about about the horrors of death is true, but it's equally true that God has an answer that is infinitely better than our answers. Our answers are to try to insulate ourselves and shield ourselves from death. Our answer is to try to run from it and delay it. Our answer is to try to soften it and sentimentalize it. God's answer is way better. Something amazing is about to happen at Tabitha's funeral in Acts chapter 9. Watch this. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Can you imagine being there on that day? Being a part of this church family, you are in the throes of mourning and grief. You have brought all of these garments that your precious sister Tabitha had made for you when she was still alive in order to honor her. She made this for me. I will always cherish it in her absence. It will be a reminder of when she was still with us. And you're gathered there for the wake or for the funeral. Her body is lifeless. And all of a sudden, Peter brings you back into the house. 
and she's sitting up, and her heart is beating, and she's breathing, and blood has, is begin, beginning to flow once again. Life has been resurrected within her. A scene of great mourning has turned into an occasion for joy. Wow. Wouldn't it have been incredible to be there to see that? And what this story demonstrates is that God's answer to the ugliness of death is the beauty of resurrection. God's answer to the ugliness of death is the beauty of resurrection. And that is illustrated for us when we read the story of Tabitha. Now, Tabitha's story is bigger than just this small account in Acts chapter 9 because it invites us to take a look backward and a look forward. We look, when we read the story of Tabitha, we are invited to look backward to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the Greek word here in Acts chapter 9, when it says that Peter raised her up, that is the same word that's used throughout the New Testament for Jesus' resurrection. Let's go back to that morning when Jesus came back to life. It was a morning very much like this one. Jesus had died and He had been in the tomb for a day and some of His female followers, some of these ladies who were devoted to Him early in the morning at early dawn, they get up and they bring some spices and ointments to, to anoint the body of Jesus. They had great respect for their precious Lord and they wanted to treat His body in a dignified way and so off they go to the tomb expecting to see there the dead body of Jesus. Because they had seen Him die on the cross, and they had seen where He had been buried. And though in His life He had said, listen, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day I will rise, they had forgotten about all that in the wake of the cross, and they head to the tomb. But when they arrived, they discovered that the giant stone placed in front of the tomb to seal it had been rolled away. And so they creep up slowly to the tomb, and they peek within, and there is no body to be found. And they're confused. They're perplexed. What has happened? Where is Jesus? And before them appeared two men, we know them to be angels, in dazzling apparel. And they say, you know what they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And so they run back to the 11 remaining apostles and the other disciples and they tell them about all this but it seems like nonsense to them. They don't believe them. But Peter, Peter himself, runs to the tomb and he peeks inside and he sees the grave clothes that have been cast aside and Jesus is not there. It makes me wonder if in Acts chapter 9, when Peter sees the dead body of Tabitha and he raises her to new life by the power of Jesus, if he isn't thinking back upon the scene of the empty tomb. Peter discovers that the tomb is empty. You know, I heard about a church, a big mega church, uh, just this past week, and they said, if you come to Easter services, we are giving away a free car. You have a chance to win a free car. And what I want to say to you is, we are doing that too this morning. Check under your seats. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) We're not doing that. Uh, What I want to say to that is, don't we already have a big surprise reveal 
on Easter Sunday on, and on every Sunday, the fact that Jesus has come back to life, the fact that He died on the cross, He didn't fake His death, the disciples didn't steal His body, He died and He was bodily raised. Isn't that enough of a surprise? Isn't that enough of a thrilling reveal for you? Do we really need to throw in a car as well? Jesus was dead but came back to life. Jesus overcomes death. The tomb is empty. And as we sang, our God, our Lord, He is alive. And listen, thank you for that, that one amen of all these people. And I just get one amen on Jesus is alive. How about we try it again? Jesus is alive. That's better. Because if that doesn't get your blood pumping, if that doesn't stir your heart, if that doesn't make you excited, then check your pulse Because nothing like that had ever happened before and nothing like it has happened since when someone of their own strength and power was raised from the dead. Jesus was dead and He came back to life. The grave could not hold Him. The tomb was empty. And when we read the story of Tabitha, as baptized believers, as Christians, our minds are invited to look back, to think back of when our Lord was raised from the dead. But we are also invited to look ahead. We look back to Jesus' resurrection, but we look forward to our promised resurrection in Christ. Because the Bible tells us because Jesus was raised, you will also be raised. This is the answer to death. This is the solution to the ugliness of death. It's the beauty of resurrection, not just that Jesus came back to life, but that you will come back to life on the last day. Paul says it well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. On that day, on the last day, when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will be raised. Those who remain will be changed. There will be a judgment. And those who have been faithful to Christ will dwell with Him for all eternity. And death will once and for all be defeated. It will be vanquished. And so when we read the story of Tabitha, we don't just think back on Jesus' resurrection, we look ahead to ours in hope and in joy, knowing that the greatest enemy of all, death, will one day be defeated. And the ugliness of death will be vanquished forever. Because of Jesus, our O death, muttered in anguish and sorrow, is transformed into, O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of Jesus, our pain gives way to hope, our sorrow to joy, our defeat to victory. Truly, death is swallowed up in victory. You know, without Jesus, we approach life with the expectation of death. But, with Jesus, we can approach death with the expectation of life. You know, Tabitha in Acts 9, this devoted disciple that we've been thinking about this morning, her resurrection here is temporary, you know that. She died, 
she was brought back to life. But we know that at some point down the line, she died again. Maybe it wasn't until she was an old lady, full of years, and more good works and acts of charity. And when she died at her funeral, they thought about the time, way back when, when she died the first time, and when they brought Peter in, the disciple of Jesus Christ, and he brought her back to life. What an amazing story that they shared. Maybe they shared at her funeral, but this time, there was no resurrection. There was no bringing her back. However, as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, they could all look forward to the day when she would be presented alive, not just for a few more years, not temporarily, but for all eternity. And let me tell you something. If you're in Christ, if you're a faithful follower of His, you will also someday be presented alive in His presence. And you'll be able to dwell with Him for all eternity. As His grave was emptied, so ours will be on the last day. But the question this morning is, are you in Christ? Because to overcome death, the greatest enemy of all, you have to be in Christ. Christ is the only way that we can conquer and be victorious over death. So the question is, are you in Christ? Are you dwelling in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Do you know how to get in Christ? Let me tell you how. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe that He was who He said He was. You have to believe in what He came to accomplish, which was to bring about salvation and redemption for all humanity. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you've got to believe. And that belief is not just mental assent to that. It is, it is trust in God. But you don't just have to believe, you also have to repent. you got to turn away from your old self. you got to say no to sin and yes to righteous living. No to the old self, put that old self away and embrace the new. And it's also vital that you confess that you believe. That you confess His name before men. Yes, I believe. Jesus Christ is who He said He was. He is the Son of God. And you also must be baptized. You must go down into that water and come up. And you know what the Scriptures say about baptism? It is a living picture of what Jesus went through in His death, burial, and resurrection. When you start out at the top of the water, you are full of sin and rebellion for which you need forgiveness. You go down into that water, you are buried in it as Jesus was buried in the tomb. And you come up out of that water as Jesus rose to new life. You rise to new life having put the old away and embraced the new. And you are a new creature. This is a beautiful picture of what happens, of what happened with Jesus. But it's more than a picture. It is the moment when you contact the very blood of Jesus Christ. It is the moment when your sins are washed away. It is the moment when God adds you to His church, His people. It is the moment when you are assured the promises and the blessings that come through faith in Jesus Christ, not just forgiveness, but the gift of the Holy Spirit and peace and love and life everlasting. That's how you get in Christ. That's how you can assure that on the last day, 
you will be raised and clothed with immortality and imperishability and prepared to live in God's presence forevermore. To be raised on that day, you need to be raised on this day. Raised to new life. To walk in newness of life. And you have that opportunity. Or if you are a baptized believer here today, but you know, you, you're unsatisfied with your life of faith and devotion, and you neglect to gather with the church on a regular basis, and your lifestyle doesn't reflect what you read in, in the Scriptures, you are not living in a way that, that makes God happy, that pleases Him, you have a chance to come on this Easter Sunday, on this day of resurrection, and say, it is time for me to make my life right with the Lord. Or if you need to get in Christ for the first time, why don't you come? You can rise to new life this morning. Why don't you do that as we stand and sing?